0: new offering envelopes this morning. Didn't say anything about them before we took the offering, but if you didn't observe them, take a look at them. We're trying to do some fresh things. I hope all of it meets with your approval. We're uh, experimenting with the new lighting. My challenge is to stay within the boundaries of the light I don't know how well I'm going to be able to do that, but if we don't, the next step will be to get somebody and put one individual on a spotlight, that just follow me wherever I go. I would make some more comments about that, but I'll just, but I won't. I'll make some comments that are different from that. I'm preaching this morning this message, America the Great. I know we have a well-known slogan among us now. Usually it's on a red hat. M-A-G-A. Make America great again. I don't challenge that. In fact, I embrace it. Because I know that there are things on which America has slipped. And I would like to renew those places where we've slipped and become better than we have been and greater than we've ever been in some of those areas. But regardless of all the faults, and there are certainly many that we have, that we deal with in our country, I will still say this to you. No matter where I have traveled, and I've traveled a lot of places in the world, I have never met anyone who said to me, there may be many who have said it, but they've never said it to me with all the people I've talked to, I hate America, I would never want to go there. On the other hand, I have had numerous people say to me over the years, how can I get to America. Because this is the epitome of what most people in the world dream for. This United States of America. Not the way some people want to make it and what they want to turn it into. But what it has been and what it still is and can be in full greatness again. I believe this is a great country. I I've enjoyed being in other places, and I've been to places in Europe, I've been to places in South America, I've been to good countries, I've been to other countries, And, and I have never yet found a place, some beautiful places, some wonderful places, I've never yet found a place that I wanted to live instead of living in the United States of America. I still want to live here. I'm not saying I couldn't live somewhere else if God called me somewhere else. I'm just saying if I just my choice, I'd rather be here with all the things that I know about many places I would rather be here. I've been places that I love, I'm glad I went to I never wanted to stay, never wanted to build a house there. I wanted to always come back to where I live in the United States of America. That's what I've done and I'm glad I've done that. I've found that to be true here. I'd want to live other places in our country. Because some places in our country are not really exactly what I always envisioned the United States being. I think I'll just stop right there. I, I, I don't want to jump on anybody's home state and make you feel bad, although some of you know how I feel about where the states you came from. <laughs> I will just tell you we have a great country. We're blessed to live here and to be in this United States of America. And what we as Christians want to do, is to do everything we can in prayer and action and deeds in our lives to make it a better place for everyone that we meet. And we can do that. In October of 1789, as George Washington was leaving public life, he addressed the country and issued a proclamation. That proclamation declared that the duty of all nations, including The United States, as he was particularly referring to. The duty of all nations is to acknowledge God's providence, obey his will, be thankful for his blessings, and pray to him. Our nation's first president called for the American people to, in this proclamation, humbly implore his protection and favor as well as, he said, beseech him to pardon our national as well as other transgressions. He also said this as he concluded. He asked for prayer to God to promote the knowledge of true religion and virtue. Suppose a proclamation like that were to be issued by the President of the United States today. You think you've heard turmoil on the newscasts? You think you've seen blather in the newspaper? You think you've heard hollering and screaming by the people who want to shut other people up and turn people around and tell them how to live their lives? You haven't heard anything that you would hear if the president today were to issue something like that. Or if his predecessor, Barack Obama, had issued something like that. Or if his predecessor... George W. Bush had done that. Or if his predecessor, Bill Clinton, had done that. Or if his predecessor, George H. W. Bush, had done that. It goes back a long ways. Now, I could have said the next one, too, Ronald Reagan. He might have got away with it. He would have had all of our support anymore. Anyway, those of you who are old enough to remember it. so, But it couldn't happen today. And yet, what the president said then was just in accord with the founding of this nation. I will not say to you that America is a Christian nation. I'll say it ought to be, but it isn't. And I'm not sure it ever has been a Christian nation, but it was founded on Christian principles. We did not start out wanting a theocracy. We didn't start out this country wanting a state church that everybody went to. That's what the people who came here were fleeing to get away from. But they did want religious liberty And they did want a place where they could worship God and not be told that it was out of order in the public life to speak God's name. Every colony that was founded had in its charter a proclamation that that colony becoming a state was founded on Christian principles. Starting up in the north. Massachusetts had that. Connecticut had that. New Hampshire had that. Others on down the line had that. Even Rhode Island and, and uh, Delaware all had that. You get that. Virginia certainly had that. North Carolina definitely had that. So did South Carolina. So did Georgia. So uh, the, all of the colonies in their beginning and their founding in their charter acknowledged that they were founded upon the principles of God's word and the worship of Almighty God. I'm not suggesting to you they all believe the same things. I'm not suggesting to you that they all agreed on everything about God's Word. But you will find God's Word implanted in every charter of every colony in the founding of this nation. We're not like other nations. I believe in American exceptionalism. I believe we're exceptional because God has put His hand on this nation. And I believe God has put his hand on this nation because we honored his word in the very beginning and said that we will stand upon his word. And then, in addition to that, when there have been other opportunities to do what God favored, America has chosen to do that. For example, we've embraced Israel, and we've done that before there was an Israel. We embraced the Jews and then their nation Israel. The United States was the first nation in the world to recognize Israel as a sovereign nation in 1948. We've maintained that. With few exceptions, there have been some leadership in the United States that has been antagonistic towards Israel and has not favored Israel, but God has overcome that. And now we have a, an administration where Israel has acknowledged and recognized and favored As one of our greatest allies and one of our greatest friends in the world economy. And I'm glad for that. I rejoice in that. Because I believe that's what we ought to be doing. I believe that's what God's word tells us to do. And if you said this, we're doing this as a policy of the United States. Because God's word instructs us to do that. Make that statement in the public and find out how much opposition you'll have. People won't want us to be Israel's friend anymore. or they're they're related to them anymore, because if they think God's Word told us to do it, they would be absolutely against it. It's sad that we have that in our country. It's sad that it's anywhere. But I believe that God, because of our founding, because of where we stood from the beginning, because we hold on to the truths of God, and we have tried to exercise as a nation that which God favors, God will continue to bless America in spite of the sin and there is sin in this country, obviously. The devil is at work everywhere in the world, but this nation still is a bulwark of Christianity and righteousness in spite of all of the quote-unquote diversity that is such a blessing to us and makes us so much stronger. You understand I say that with some degree of sarcasm. In spite of that, God's hand is still on the United States of America. And I know some of you sitting here, and I know some of you sitting here devoted big parts of your lives to securing that and securing our freedom. There are many of you here, many of you who are veterans of the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard. Anything else I may have mentioned or missed along the way? Whatever I didn't say. I know that there are veterans of all the services here, and we honor you, and we thank you for your service. We thank you for defending the United States of America. There are people who want America to fail and to fall. There are people who call themselves great Americans. They say the way I show that I love America is to try to tear it up and tear it down and make it different from what it is. Thank you, I don't need that kind of love. And our country doesn't need it either. But, you know, we we should learn the lessons of history. Because there are many great empires, states, nations that have fallen and do not exist any longer. And most of that is because of dissension from unrighteousness and from ungodliness and lack of recognizing the hand of God and the power of God and the nature of God's goodness within within their borders, within their boundaries. The Roman Empire was one of the greatest empires in the history of the world, but it declined over a period of many years. It declined and finally wasted away till it was no longer in existence. They speak of the fall of the Roman Empire. It didn't happen overnight at one certain time, a certain date, that everything fell apart and it existed no longer. It was a period of decline, a period of dissipation that continued and continued until it separated people, it separated the states. There were even times when there were two parts of the Roman Empire, the east and the west, two emperors at the same time. A lot of things happened in the history of the Roman Empire. But the important thing I say to you is this. It came to an end. It came to an end. I believe if we as Christian people stand in faith, pray, seek God, serve Him, proclaim the truth that we're not ashamed to proclaim, the United States will be standing when Jesus comes again. You say, well, if God... I've heard people say, if God punished and judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he'd be a hypocrite if he didn't do that to you, the United States. And you need to get your theology really, really correct before you start preaching something like that, friends. I will say to you that there are things that we have to stand against so that we don't become what others have been. But we are not there yet. We're not yet Sodom and Gomorrah, in other words. There may be some places in this country that are just like that, but the country as a whole has not embraced that, and I don't believe we ever will in spite of the fact that there's an agenda out there trying to force it down our throats. We don't have to take it. What we have to do is to elect good people will stand for the Constitution of the United States, and as long as our government will stand for the Constitution of the United States, the believers in Jesus Christ in this nation will be secured and will be safe. But it requires standing for our Constitution. You can stand for the Word of God, and we need to, and we must without equivocation, without any uncertainty, we must stand for the Word of God but we also must stand for the Constitution of the United States of America on which this great country was founded, and which, again, by the way, embraces God's Word and God's providence. Here are the things that I read, and I had to pick out for many. Here are the things that I read that caused the fall of the Roman Empire. See if we might identify some of them. I am not suggesting you that we're going that way. I believe God has a different plan for this country, for this nation, and He has expressed it. He has expressed it, declared it, and made it known in many ways throughout history. We have, we have in this country come through some of the worst times that any nation could have ever had. The Civil War was a time that this nation could have exploded and broken into fragments, but God, through that that awful bloody time. One of the worst times in the history of this country, God secured us by his providence. And as as a good Southerner, I've been a Southerner all my life. I will never be able to be anything else. But I will tell you this. I've got sense enough to know that this nation needed to be held together in the time of its greatest crisis and that Abraham Lincoln was a hero of the nation who made that possible. Who held fast when others were ready to let go. And this nation is one today. Overcoming the egregious horrors of slavery in this country. Which we could not have survived without the counsel of, and the leadership of good men. But more importantly, we could not have survived without the grace of God on this country. So this is why I I read that the Roman Empire fell, because of barbarian invasions, invasions into the country. Then the barbarians were embraced and made a part of their country. The decline in morals and values, we see some of that. Environmental and public health problems, excessive military spending to defend the empire, inflation. Political corruption. You know, if I were willing to, I could stop and preach a whole sermon right there. But I'm I'm trying not to be political at all. I'm just trying to be biblical. Unemployment and urban decay, some of the things that cause the nation to fall. But I want to tell you, friends, in all the times throughout the history of difficulties in this country, there have been some great revivals that have shaken this nation. If you look back in history, I've read about every one of these revivals over the years and read them at various times and different times. And every name that I found as I looked up the great revivals in the history of the United States were names that I already recognized, that I already knew and already had had read about. But it helped me a great deal to go back and review and revise all of that as I got ready to preach this message to you this morning. So great revivals in America. I have a reason for telling you about all these great things that God has done. Because when when times became difficult harsh and troubled, God always had a revival moving among many people in this nation. There was never a time that everybody in this country repented and fell on the knees and accepted Christ. But there were times when many, by the thousands, sometimes by the hundreds of thousands, gave their hearts to Christ over the period of time in the history of this country. The first great revival was instituted and started through the ministry of the man whose name was Jonathan Edwards. He pastored a church in New England, and in the 1730s and 40s, and that was, which it wasn't even a state, it was just a colony, Jonathan Edwards, in partnership with George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards was a pastor, Whitfield was an itinerant preacher who preached all up and down from Georgia all the way up to Massachusetts, preached to the thousands and the thousands out in the fields. By the way, they didn't have any microphones, any sound systems in those days. He just had to talk loud enough for everybody to hear him. But I read that he was able to speak out in those fields with people gathered by the thousands and people could hear him far back to the very back row. So I don't know how that was possible, but I know the Holy Spirit gives an anointing in different ways. He was able to be heard. Whitfield was a great, great American evangelist. Jonathan Edwards. Started this revival by preaching a sermon that he's best known for. When people speak of Jonathan Edwards, the first thing knowledgeable people think of is the sermon he preached. That was titled "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." That sermon sparked revival in Massachusetts. It spread, and it was a, it was it was a, for that time a national revival. Of course, the country wasn't what it is today, but for all the country that existed at that time, that was a great move of the Holy Spirit. And uh, part of that great revival were John and and Charles Wesley brothers who came over from England and preached and ministered mostly while they were over in Savannah, just north of us. There's an orphanage there that was started back in those days that I'm told is still there today. I've been up there and I sometimes mean to go see it and ask about seeing it. I think I'll do that the next time I go. In the 1820s and the 1850s, now just prior to the Civil War, there was a great move of the Holy Spirit. But God turned this country upside down. It didn't stop the Civil War, but it turned a lot of people to God and brought a lot of people into the kingdom. Charles Finney was one of the great leaders of that tremendous revival. They built tents. They didn't have tents, so they had to build them. They built large tents where they would have services for weeks, week after week. And they set up those tents that would seat thousands of people constructed just for that reason. And that revival went on for for decades, through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, of the 1800s. In fact, it was there that the first time uh, when Charles Finney preached, he, he had a bench down in front for the thousands of people who came to hear him. I don't know how long that bench was, but he had a bench down in front that he called the crying bench. So when people came to God in those revivals, they came and walked down the aisles, and they felt down at, the, at, at the bench altar that he had created that he called the crying bench, and I suppose because they called it the crying bench, they just cried and wept and called on God till God saved them and they knew that they were forgiven. I had never heard of the crying bench till I started reading this. I read a lot about Charles Finney, but I never heard about his crying bench. I'm glad to find out about that. So, another great revival later on started. After the Civil War, about 1875, a man named Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, came on the scene. Preached. he started out as a Sunday school class. He was not an educated man. He actually was a shoe salesman. And he started a Sunday school class of boys and girls, needy areas of Chicago. And the the attendance in the Sunday class class built and built and built. And he said, by the hundreds and thousands, kids were coming to Sunday school. Abraham Lincoln even stopped by there to to experience it one time, to see what all he was hearing about. That revival broke out in that way, and then Moody became a preacher who reached out to all of America at that time, and also to most of Europe. He preached to, it is said that he preached to as many as a hundred million people in the lifetime of his ministry. That sounds like a great number to me, but those are the numbers that I read that happened. And then, of course, the Civil War began and ended in 1865. That was just before this great revival broke out. So the revival broke out apparently, I would say God's purpose at least in part, was to repair the fractured nation that had come about because of the Civil War. God moved in a great, mighty revival in those days, and thousands of people, we don't know how many, we never will until we get to heaven, but thousands of people really came to Jesus in those revivals led by D. L. Moody. And then when the century turned in the in the 20th century, around 19, early 1900s, 1906, 7, somewhere in there, a man named Billy Sunday came on the scene. He was a former baseball player. Finished his baseball career and started to preach. And when he he started to preach, people by the thousands started to come to hear him. So thousands gathered. In the pavilions of that day, dear Billy Sunday preached Jesus Christ. It said that he that he always got up and acted out his sermons like he was a baseball player and how you got how you get to heaven is you, you gotta you gotta start by hitting the ball and you run. Then you have to run past first. And he, and he said, and when I did that, then I slid in the first, second base. He wasn't very educated. Most of these men were not. He slid in the second base. And he got up. Next day, he rounded the bases and he made it all the way home. I had a woman in one of my churches many years ago who wanted to join our church. And she filled out a membership application. And she put on that membership application, I was converted by Billy Sunday in 1920-something, whatever it was make her any better Christian, but at least she had that history to go by. Billy Sunday, a great preacher. When when Billy Sunday finished, he preached until he died in 1935. Shortly after that, Billy Graham came on the scene. Billy Graham had over 400 crusades in major cities of the world and preached to millions of people. We may not have known it at the time, but that was a bulwark. That revival that began in the heart and the life of Billy Graham was a bulwark against the unrighteousness, against the ungodliness that America was going to be attacked with and by which we have been attacked. And we are still being attacked by that ungodliness in our country today. We have to, if we talk about revivals of that era, you have to talk about Oral Roberts and the great healing revivals that came about. In the, in the very late 40s, mostly in the 50s and the 60s. And thousands and thousands of people came to the tents and then to the auditoriums. The reason they had the tents in those days, that they had to bring people in for their, for their meetings, because there were no places large enough to hold them. They didn't have auditoriums like we have today, with venues of thousands of people coming in. They didn't have the amphitheaters, and the, and the enclosed auditoriums and arenas that we have everywhere today. So they had to take their own meeting place and put their tents up. But most of them were large enough for thousands of people, tens, eleven, 11, 15,000 people to gather in. When Oral Roberts came to Goldsboro, North Carolina, in the late 40s, the time that really brought a change to my life because my mother went to his crusade and was saved. And as a result of that, sometime later I was saved. And so revival has a lot of A lot of trailers that come on after it. A lot of good things that don't happen maybe at the immediate time, but but happen because of it. And that's what we want revival to do. So, So that was a great, great move of God through that century. And along during that time, parallel with that, now when Billy Sunday started preaching through his whole days at that time, there was another revival that started in California at 317 Azusa Street. There, William J. Seymour, a black man who had come there from Kansas, praying seven hours a day. Some many days, someone wrote, and and that resulted in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in what we call the Azusa Street Revival. The Holy Spirit came for the first time in a long time. The Holy Spirit revealed Himself in His fullness as He did in the second chapter of Acts. And the Holy Spirit fell on people there and began to speak with other tongues. They knew what they were seeking, but nobody had ever received it until at that time it began to happen with people there. And then that spread today. Do you realize that today there are in excess of 750 million Pentecostal believers in the world today? From that time till today over 650 million and it's, and it's the fastest growing element of Christianity except for the Catholics. The Catholics have the advantage of growing a little bit faster because every baby that's born into the Catholic Church becomes a Catholic you can't she you can't, can't hardly overcome that now, I know they don't really become Catholics but they they're told that they are. so if you were born into a Catholic family you were a Catholic. You don't have to be today, but you can be. It doesn't matter as long as you're saved and you're a Christian. But being born as a Catholic doesn't make you one, just, just so you know. Whereas anything else doesn't make you. You have to be born again for that to happen. So the revival has been a part of this country. It's been a part of our history. It's something that we've seen happen through the years. Anybody who knows the history of this country... And all you have to do is go and read. There are books everywhere about all of this. You'll find it not only in all books. You'll find it all over the Internet. You just have to be careful what you're reading about it so you're reading the true historical facts. You can look in Wikipedia and find all kinds of things about this if you want to read it and study about it. This country has been built on a revival of the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of the lives of the citizens of this country. It's a revival nation. And we ought to be praising God for it and thanking him for it every day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what happened on Azusa Street is still happening today. We are a result of the Azusa Street revival. We're a result of that. We're here because of that. Because God moved. When I lived in North Carolina, I I, I learned this while I was there. There's a little town where I was a pastor for eight years. It's called Dunn, D-U-N-N, North Carolina, right on Interstate 95. And, well, not on the interstate. It's off to the side. But <laughs> at, You drive at 95, you drive right by. That's what I'm trying to accurately say. So when the revival started out there in Azusa Street, there was a man who brought it back to Dunn, North Carolina. And the very building where he went there and preached was still there at that time. I don't think it is today, but it was at that time. And he began to preach that Pentecostal message, and it spread all over eastern North Carolina. And out of that, churches were born, the Free Will Baptist Church that believed Pentecostal faith, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, the Church of God, the Assemblies of God. All those churches came out of that Azusa Street revival. And, and by the multitudes, by the multitudes, Pentecostals are worshiping God today in places like we are right here. So God has moved in this country, and he has moved for this reason, to bring people to him and to make America righteous and to make America stand on the word of God. We can't compel that politically and would not want to compel it if we were able to do it. That's not the way to bring righteousness to a nation. But what we do want to do is to present this message to people who need God in their lives. Proclaim this truth, and we can do this. We can proclaim this truth today right here in Fleming Island the way they cannot do it in other places of the world. You can't go to Cuba and do what I'm doing here this morning. There are other places that you cannot go. And do what I'm doing here this morning. Try this in Russia. Try this in some of the nations of Europe. Try this in some of the African nations. It's a great move of God going on in Africa. But there's still people there with their tribalism that they believe that they're in control who oppose the gospel. That's as everywhere in the world. So there are many places in the world that nobody can stand up and do what I'm doing here today. They could not preach this message. They could not tell you this truth. Because they would be prohibited from doing it if they tried to, they'd be taken, locked up, and punished. Do this in Iran. They want to come here and say all they want to say, foment. I better not go off on that. <laughs> they may want to come here and do all that they want to do and say and stir up everything. But let us go there. I'll tell you that you cannot do there. Places that you cannot do this. But I am grateful. Thankful that today there's a liberty in the United States of America that allows us to preach the gospel. It allows people to preach the gospel who preach it wrong. I want them to be able to preach it. I don't want to stop them by politics. It allows people to preach the gospel who do it for their own selfish motives. Let that go. Paul said no matter what motive anybody has in preaching the gospel, at least the gospel is being preached. And God can do mark- mark- remarkable things in spite of the failures of men. So today, today, we rejoice that we have a country where we can proclaim the word of God. I can stand up and say what my heart tells me I must say about the sins of the nation. I can speak out about homosexuality. I can speak out about failures in uh, in. Uh, In politics. I could call people's names. I wouldn't, but I could. And have the freedom to do it as long as I'm speaking the truth. Because this country allows me the liberty to do that. Because of that, other people have liberties to do other things we prefer not to see. But I'd rather let the liberty be here for everyone and still allow us to stand up and preach the gospel that we know is true. Preach the word of God that we know cannot be changed. It is infallible preach God's word as he's always declared it and it's always been preached by faithful people and believe it and stand on it and proclaim it. Yes, we're citizens of the United States of America and we're glad for that. We're also citizens of the commonwealth of glory where our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life and we have a higher citizenship, a higher calling, a higher expectation in our lives because we're citizens of that heavenly place Jesus has gone to prepare for us. Us. And he's already written our names down. We've already got our voting card. Not that you'll have to do any voting there. <laughs> Everything's already been decided. <laughs> it's all in God's hands, and the righteousness of God will prevail. Hallelujah. We want to be a little bit of that here in this world, in this United States. And I will say one more time I, if I had a choice of being anything in this world, the first thing I would be. As a Christian. But if I have a choice. And I, I, I have. Because I could move somewhere else. I had a choice about where I want to be a citizen of this world. I wanted to be. The United States of America. And thank God for this. Thank God. If you're grateful. You're thankful. To God for your nation for where we are today in our faith and our believing in the Word of God and the freedom we have to proclaim the gospel truth. If you're thankful for that, stand with me today. Glory to God.